good morning, Renovation, and just so glad to see this room getting a little more full and a little more full as we go along, and it's awesome. And uh, again, we just uh, miss many of you. Uh, I won't tell you which ones we miss, but no, just kidding. We miss you. I know you're, uh, many of you still watch us online, and we, uh, again, can't wait till we're all in this room together, and we feel comfortable doing that, but we sure understand right now, and just so thankful. And I appreciate Steve Frank uh, coming and talking about Pastor Appreciation Week, and you know, Steve and I have been together 22 years in all kinds of different settings, and we've sweat together, we've laughed together, we've cried together, and we've dreamed together, and as many of you know, that is the way we feel. The best way to build relationships is through those ways, and we've done that over a lot of miles, Steve and I have, and us as a team here, and, and the, the gift cards are, 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 are appreciated. I'll leave throwing that hint in there. Jan needs one. Jan and I have had gift card situations this week, and it's been kind of funny going out to eat and finding out that you think you've got $100 worth of gift cards and get there, and it's 11 But it's at the end of the meal. You don't find it out till the end. Okay, so I'm just saying, uh, yeah, so give us full ones if you're not just kidding. But yeah, that's, it's, it's funny. It's funny how uh, God uses all that. And, uh, but no, really, though, we're just so thankful and blessed to be here. And uh, yeah, salt and light. To raise up influencers through spiritual transformation to be salt and light, where we're engaged and influential. And during this series, or... We need to be engaged and influential. Talked about last week that one of the biggest challenges we have as Christians, and I won't re-preach a message, but just remind us, that one of the biggest challenges we have as Christians, uh, we hear it often, the reason I don't go to church, the reason I'm, I don't want to listen to any of your Christian stuff, because the church is full of what? Hypocrites, right? We talked about the, the log and the splinter or the log and the sawdust last week. And you can go back and listen to that if, you, if, you, if it helps you. I won't, like I said, re-preach it. But one of the questions is, is it possible, because of salt and light, is it possible for people to tell that you're a Christian without using words, by the way you work, by the way you spend your leisure, by the way you spend your money, by the preferences you have, maybe in entertainment or who you follow, lack of, and that's a new term obviously over the last decade, what that means, okay, versus many years ago. Is it easy for them to tell that you're committed to the cause of Christ in the world and you've arranged your life in such a way that, that not that you're trying to tell people that you are, it is just an outflow of who you are. Is that possible? Well, I believe it is. I believe it's very possible, but without using words, I want to watch your life. A sermon heard is soon forgotten, and believe me, as a pastor, I even forget what I preached last Sunday, except I just reminded of that one part of it. So a sermon heard is soon forgotten, but a sermon seen is never forgotten. So can we live a life in such a way that people are drawn to Christ just simply the way we live and the choices we make even? And yes, I know it's more than just about appearances. 
but it's important. Again, last week, the whole concept around a hypocrite is, and I'll, I'll read just some definitions here, is a, and it's the practice of engaging in the same behavior activity which one criticizes another. A person who professes, and I thought this was interesting, a person who professes beliefs and opinions that he or she does not hold in order, in order to conceal his or her real feelings or motives. You say one thing, but you do another. And I reminded you last week, and I hope this made sense to you because I realized uh, there's a lot, we, we aspire to great things. If we want, we aspire as Christians, we should aspire to be like Christ. Do we agree with that? I mean, that's our destination is Christ-likeness. There's really no other thing you can find. It's not just to get to heaven, even though there's a, there, there, obviously that's the, the byproduct of all this, but our goal, our aspiration is Christ-likeness. There's a problem, right? We're still human. We're still here. We're still surrounded by sin, and, we're still, and it deals with us, and it compresses in on us. So we know we're going to fall short. As I said last week, I want to aspire to be this husband and to be that father and to be this pastor, but the reality is, my goals are probably too high. But are they really? And there are times you can go, well, you're not living up to what you said, but my intent is. And if you call me out and you say something to me, I hope and pray that I'm willing to adjust. And as we said a few weeks ago, when the light is shown on you, when truth is shown on you, I don't deflect it. I try to step towards it. But I'm still not going to be perfect. But I think my heart can get there. My heart can get where I desire that. My actions may not always follow. But my heart. I was reminded this week is, is, I've said here, I don't know how many times, and maybe to the point you know it better than I do. It's just reminded, we're talking about the goodness of God. And, and then as I was studying for, for today, then I get, a, I get my, you know, my, my, uh, uh, version Bible verse of the day, and this verse came today, and I was already thinking along this line. I want to share that with you, but here in just a second. But the, the Leif uh, Peterson's concept or, or his his statement about his dad that he preached the same sermon for fifty years. And those of you who don't know who Eugene Peterson is, Eugene Peterson is the one who wrote the message, the paraphrase, the message. Just so you know, just in context there, because I'm going to talk about context here in just a minute said, God loves you, he's on your side, he's coming after you, he's relentless. God loves you, he's on your side, he's coming after you, he's relentless. Anybody here thankful for that? That he didn't give up on you, he knew where you were, he knew what had happened, he knew all those things, but he still kept coming after you. So with that thought, how could we, as we talk about the concept of being salt and light, not be so thankful, one, but be willing to give the grace that God has poured out on us to others? And that's where I come to Romans 15, 5. 
May the God who gives endurance and encouragement. How many of you have been through the fire? When you almost felt there was no hope. But you kept walking. And you kept moving. And you didn't give up. And there was encouragement. Things came along. But let me say this about encouragement here. Your life has an opportunity to be encouragement to others. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ had towards you so that you may, with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you have the same attitude towards others that Christ had towards you. That would deal with a lot of hypocrisy. (laughs) It would deal with a lot of it. Because again, one of the big challenges of salt, being salt and light, is saying it. And you've heard me say this many times. You're talking about Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, your heart will also be. And it's this statement. I may not always live out what I profess, but I will always live out what I treasure. I will always Whatever you put in is going to come out. No matter what you say out of your mouth, what you treasure and what you cherish, that is how you will respond. But I thought today, maybe it may be of help, and today and next week, and next week, Lord willing, if it all works out, I'm going to preach on something you've heard me talk about before here, and it is the ethos of Christ and some signs that we talk about in the uncommon, we'll see how all that goes. And some of you have never heard that. Some of you have heard it multiple times. But in being salt and light, I think it's important that we're reminded. But one of the things I want to do, reminded of what the end result of that might look like, but I want to share with you today a few things I think as we're making that transition that could be of help to you. I don't have them listed up here, so you're just going to have to work with me. And, uh, but one of them is this. I think people who are desiring to be salt and light, and this is just working through this this week because it is easy right now. In this world where we have the opportunity to get so much information at us, to judge an organization or a person out of context. None of us like that, do we? We don't like somebody to take something. So the first thing today is I think people who are soft and light operate life in, in, in a thought of context. I don't know if you've ever done this. Have you ever applied a scrutiny to other people that you would never apply to yourself? You would never do it to yourself. You would never want anyone to do it to yourself. But you apply a scrutiny to other organizations or other even political parties or even other people that you would never, ever do to yourself or ask to be done to you. It's easier to generalize and judge than it is and it's easier to deflect because, you know, again, the more, like I said last week, the more I push on you, the more I don't have to look at me. The more I magnify yours, somehow another when I magnify yours, mine shrinks. Or I don't even notice it because I've magnified your faults and your sin and all that messiness. 
because it just makes it easier. Here's the problem. In order to get to know someone and know them in context, one many times is hard work. Really hard work. And two, once I know it in context, there's a chance I don't get to judge them anymore. And that saddens me. Because I enjoy it so much. Because I sure like comparing my best to your worst. Whether it's out of context or not. Here's what I know. Once you hear someone's story, you, you may still have the same position on certain things, but it will explain some things. I am so glad that you don't know just a part of my life from the time I was 17 to 26. I'm so glad that you just don't see that piece of my life, the lost decade, I call it. I'm so glad you don't just see that part of my life, and that's all you see about Kurt Gentry. I'm just so glad that you didn't see me in the fall of 1984 in my big old honking Pontiac Grand Prix about to drive that thing up to a, a concrete post because I was about to end my life because I was so messed up and such an alcoholic, all the things that went with it. I'm so glad you don't just look at that part of my life with the pornography and all the other things that went with it. I'm so glad you don't just look at that, that part of my life and go, that's him. That's him right there. That's it. That's all you got. Context. You may wonder sometimes why I push so hard against alcohol. And some of you go, and I'm not saying in itself, you got to make some decisions, but overall, I know how bad it can be. You don't know my life and seeing my family deal with it. You don't know all of my life. You don't know why sometimes I'm so passionate about that, and I make statements that you think are legalistic, and I get that, but I'm just saying you don't know my life. I don't know why. I get so fired up about certain things over other things, but I'm going to guess many times there's some context to it. And if there's context to my life, there's just a chance there's context to yours. There's a chance there's context to people's lives that I don't even know that I've made an opinion and a judgment on. There's a chance, there's just a chance. There's context to that. We talk about it in scripture a lot and contextual, and, and Dr. Dan does a great job, and Allie, and I know this Bible, Jan's telling me the women's Bible study right now, the lady who's teaching just does a tremendous job about contextual, talking about the culture, talking about all the things that were going on. We do it in scripture, but we need to do it with people too. It's helpful, isn't it, to know what else was going on in that moment or maybe moments. God begins to change our life because what, what did Jesus say? 
and I, I should have the scripture, but I apologize for that. But Jesus was talking about the log and the splinter or the, or the, or the sawdust I, I left up here last week. But he didn't just say, take this out of your eye just so now you would have it out of your eye. He said, so you could help. So you actually could do something positive. It's not just so it's gone and now, or we don't compare logs or compare sprinters. It's so I can help my brother and sister. And God begins to change us and begins to reveal logs. He begins to, and it goes on to the next one, which I would say is self-aware slash unacceptable. There are things in our life we become very self-aware of. Those who want to be soft and light become very self-aware. And they begin to use the term in some ways, in some form, this is unacceptable. Because God brings a conviction. God brings a stirring. God brings an awakening. Look at that log, Kurt. And let me say this very well. It wasn't an issue five years ago, but it is today. In other words, what I mean by that, sometimes when you grow in your faith, you would go, man, I wish I didn't have that as an issue. And you finally reach a certain point in your spiritual walk and go, now, now, now that's an issue. And that's the reason why I use this ladder that many of you have seen a hundred times here is this, is that God, again, we come to the foot of the cross. You may be here today, and, and, you, and you've never accepted Christ, or you're listening online. You've never accepted Christ as your Savior. I think it's Billy Graham that says, at the foot of the cross, the ground is what? Level. There's no caste system here. There's no hierarchy here. We all come as sinners needing grace to be saved. So we come here, we get firm footing and get that firm foundation, and then God does what? Here we go. <sighs> he stretches. And he stretches us. And many times, at 60 years old, it's many times it says, stretching. Oh, man. Oh, it's hard. It's hard. And he stretches us, and he stretches us, and his rungs are three feet apart, not 12 inches apart, or 13. They're hard. Oh, he gets us here. And he shows us something. He begins to change us. He begins to stir us. He begins to awaken us. He begins to say there's things unacceptable. Because if you don't put it in unacceptable, they have a tendency to become commonplace. And commonplace becomes compromise. What right now is God saying to you that's unacceptable. Because unless you put it in that category, it becomes okay. And in my experience and most people I know, when God begins to change you, circumstances and the sense of the Spirit stirring in you collide. And you have to decide in that moment, Will I go with him or not? Henry Blackaby calls it a crisis of belief. Will I step backwards? Because here's the problem. You don't get to stay neutral. There is no option at the cross for neutrality. You have to do something, folks. 
When God begins to stir you, it's either you begin to go with where God's taking you, whether you know what all's going on or not. You begin to follow him. You begin to stretch. You begin to go, and he takes you, and he lets you get to that next rung, and he'll let you get there, and if he'll let you get steady, and he'll let you get secure there, and then you know what he's going to do? Because the reason I love Christianity and the holiness message that we preach, and that is he goes, okay, here we go again. Not because he's condemning you, not because he's looking at you going, oh, you're just not good enough. No, he's going, I want the destination is Christ's likeness. And that, that, that's the deal. The, the destination is Christ's likeness. The destination is not the next rung. The destination is Christ's likeness. It's always Christ's likeness. So that means right now we got to be open to salt and light, be open to change, be open to those things that God may be doing in our lives because he may run us all, and then he lets us get here and here and here and here, right? Let's just get here, and then we step right up on top of that thing. It says don't stand there. You've heard me say this many times. If you're going to stand where it says don't stand, where man says don't stand, you know following after Christ is many times irrational to the natural man. But let me say this to you. When you get to this point and there are no handrails to grab, but God says still step up there, you better have people around you that you know are going to hold the ladder steady, that you trust beyond anything else because your life may and your family's life may be dependent on it. Salt and light. Third thing I would say is, we've taught on it here before, that I think there's got to be grit and perseverance. Because you're going to have obstacles to get where you need to get to. And for many of you, you're going to, try, you're going to give up way too easy. I think it's Seth Godin that says, it may not take a huge amount of effort. It may take a ridiculous amount of effort. <laughs> A ridiculous amount of effort that it's going to take to continue to go where God, it may be your marriage. It may take a ridiculous amount of effort to keep your marriage together. It may take a ridiculous amount of effort to get where God's, you know God's told you to get to. It may take that. And it may take grit. And it's endurance that has passion all inside of it. It may take that saying, I know what God has said and I continue to move forward. This week, I got a text from, from Brother Paul Holderfield. I mean, if you know Brother Paul Holderfield, he is our dear friend, a family member, really, from Friendly Chapel Church of the Nazarene in North Little Rock, Arkansas. They were planted. God planted them 50 years ago in one of the roughest neighborhoods, in the, in, really in Arkansas, but in, especially in Little Rock, an all-black neighborhood, basically where it was, rough neighborhood. And here, a white pastor is coming in there to start a church based on... 12 years before his racist attitude that God worked on for 12 years, 12 years. If you know the story about Central High School, you know that he, uh, he was a fireman, Brother Paul Holdfield, senior, not junior. Ju so senior died in 1998. He did not send me a text this week, okay? And I love him death, but I wished he would. That would be a story. But his son, Paul Jr., did send me a text this week. But Brother Paul Sr. wouldn't shake the hand of a black man because he was black. 
But God did something in that moment that day. As, as big a failure as he had in that moment, standing out in front of the fire station on Main Street in North Little Rock, Arkansas, because they were marching to Central High School, and you can look up the history behind Central High School. They were marching. He would not stand, would not shake his hand. as a man he had known for years, put his hands behind his back because all his white firemen were there using the N-word and doing everything else. And He stood there and would not shake this man who used to give him rides, who would do things for him, who, who loved him. He would not shake his hand. And he was, he was not a Christian. He was actually an alcoholic, a fireman, and all that kind of stuff at the time. But he walked to the back of that fire station, called his wife, and he says, Honey, I, 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 you're going to be proud of your husband today. She goes, What do you mean? He said, I wouldn't shake a man's hand because of the color of his skin. And obviously, he wasn't proud of it. He made a decision that day in 1957. That won't ever happen again. In 1969, he he gave his life to the Lord over those 12 years, started a little church with with he and his family and about a dozen little black kids. (laughs) That's not the way you plan a church (laughs) and and church growth. That's not how you do it. But one of those original kids is still the music pastor there, Nate the Skate, (laughs) they call him. But Brother Paul sent me 50 years of ministry, 50 years of doing what everybody's awakening to today. 50 years they're celebrating of doing what people are starting to go, oh, you know, we need to do this. Brother Paul said this last summer, he said, we're not going to change a thing. We've been doing this for 50 years. (laughs) There's nothing to change except just lean in harder, do more. He sent me an article of, of, of in 2010, this is 12 years after Paul Sr. had passed away, 2010, North Little, I mean, the paper in Arkansas wrote an article about gangbanging in, in Little Rock, and you can go look it up. HBO had gangbanging. It was an HBO special in the early 90s. Brother Paul and, and Friendly Chapel was in the middle of all that, and I think that it was there, Gary, Indiana, and I think somewhere in California that they did this HBO special around. But Friendly Chapel's property was the oasis in the desert. You couldn't do anything on Friendly Chapel's property. That's where the Bloods and the Crips would actually come and lay, kind of lay down their arms. But this article that Brother Paul sent me this week that I read, he said, hey, I just found this. And he's, Brother Paul's kind of like me. He's, he's tech, technologically advanced maybe in some ways more than I am. But he took a picture of every page, 13 pages of text. Okay, single different. It's kind of funny to look at it. Uh, and Anyway, so I read it on my little phone. That Anyway, uh, I digress. But it's about Brother Paul Sr. inviting the Crips that were all around Central High School back in 1992-93 to their fish fry. And he said, you can come. He said, you can come, but you've got to bring the young kids that you've got in your gang with you. And brought all these young kids to this fish fry where these kids, it literally says in the article, those kids, had ne- they're like 12, 13, 14 years old, had never been out of their neighborhood, ever. And they load up, Brother Paul now, I think, sent a van, or this guy sent a van or a bus, and the, and the crip guy gets on the deal and has a gun in his, and the guy kind of freaks out going, okay, this is not good. We're going to a huge fish fry, and all these people are going to be there, and this crip leader has got a gun on him. So he gets there. He goes, well, okay, we're just going to go. 
And they get there. And this, this gentleman who's the journalist, actually, who's writing this article, who's actually the journalist that helped the HBO special in 1992-93, he runs in and tells Brother Paul, hey, this guy here's got a gun. And he's got it in his belt. Brother Paul, Jesus will protect us. Let him come in. said, those young men, young men, young boys, 12 and 14 years old, busload of them, mingled in with that other crowd. And the reason God, the guy was willing to bring them there because of the reputation of Friendly Chapel, that it was going to be okay. Those young men settled in, sitting around adults, sitting around other kids, and he said, before you knew it, out there on the grass area, they were out there kicking, throwing the football around and playing. They had, he said, the crypt leader said he had never seen them do that. And come to find out so many of those, a few of those young men died, some children died over time in the gangs. But most of them, they say, the guys reporting, made it out and made a productive life. And they think part of it was going back to going to a fish fry with a bunch of people that they didn't know, but those people just said, come on in. But let me tell you, Brother Paul had to overcome with grit and perseverance that he knew God had told him to do something. He didn't know that those Crips and Bloods were coming. That was in 1969. You hadn't even ever heard of Crips and Bloods. But he kept pushing and he kept going. And because of that, God used it even 20, and he's still doing it. 50 years later, he's still using that place. And the last one I'd say to you, if you want to let, if you want people around you without using words, to know that you have a fragrance and aroma of your life, there is salt and light, just, and the last one is, be compelled. And I don't have to up there, but 2 Corinthians, you've heard me say it again many times. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15. For Christ's love compels us. And it's almost a compel there is not just a have to, you know, I got a heart. He's got my arm behind my back, you know, he's got me a gun to my head, he's got all this, I gotta go do it. No, I can't help it. It's like your children running into the street, and all of a sudden, you wouldn't run in the street in front of another car for anything, but your child's in that street, you're willing to put your life on line because you can't help it. It is in you. You have to go. Christ's love compels you. It's not an obligation. I am convinced that the greatest motivator of people around you about Christ and the greatest motivator for me is to fall in so much in love with Christ that I can't help but share that love with others. That verse finishes, and and I think this is an important word. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I am convinced that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And I can't help it but to go do what I need to do.
One of the greatest things, and I want to just say this to you here. One of the greatest convincings that changed my life, and I think compelled me, was when I realized at 26 years old, I had made peace with the creator of the universe. That I did nothing to deserve it. I did nothing to earn it. But he loved me so much that he was relentless. He's not giving up on me. He came after me. How many of you have ever had God come after you? I mean, you just know it. You know it. You know it. I remember right before I was saved, gave my life to the Lord in 1986, I was miserable. I would go practice softball. I'd be thinking about what God was stirring on my heart, going, I don't want to do that. He's going to send me to Africa, you know, they were saying. You know, if I, if I give my life to the Lord, I'm going to have to quit drinking beer, whatever. I'm going to have to, I just thought, all these things, whatever it was, I just kept thinking, I'm going to have to, do, I'm going to, have to give money. That was a, maybe a one thing. Or maybe I can't do this or that. Whatever that was, I just had all these things. But the reality was, or here's the other one, and Jan will tell you this, one of the things was I needed to quit cussing. Jan would say to me, would you stop saying that? And I don't mean like, would you stop saying that? I mean, it could be that too. Because mine was, yes, I used the F-bomb and Jesus' name. And I just, it just was part of my, I'm mean, as bad as any sailor. You would know as the old saying goes. And many of you don't know what that means. I know that's a dated term, cuss bad as a sailor. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Many of you know. thought I had to clean myself up. And I realized when I gave my life that day, I had nothing to bring except the mess. <laughs> That's all I had to bring was the mess. Because I couldn't have earned it if I'd done all those other things. And going back to what we talk about in context and we talk about being self-aware and unacceptable and, 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 and grit and compelling and all those things, I think the place we start as people who want to be salt and light, we need to start with God dealing with our mess so he can clear that out and get us healthy and whole so we can help begin to love others in the way they deserve to be loved and not so we can point a finger at them but help lead them out of to the reconciling God who spent, has already paid the price. It's not to go, oh, look at my bony little finger. No, it's this. Come with me. I found the one. I know where he is. I know he'd love to meet you. Actually, he already knows you because people say many times, Where's Jesus been in all this? Where he always been? Chasing after you. He loves you. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. And a big amen to that, right? Amen. We're going to watch God's, per- God's perseverance in action as we watch Paige Reinhardt's testimony of salt and light. My name is Paige Reinhardt. I am a nurse in the emergency department at Phoenix Children's Hospital. 
I also help lead trips for an organization called Developing Workers. We take medical trips around the world um, and get to tell people about Jesus. I'm married to Jeff Reinhardt, the youth pastor here. We originally started coming to renovation in winter of 2018 when he got the job as a youth pastor. But from the first time that we even stepped on campus at renovation, we knew that this was going to be our new family and we felt community here. When I was eight years old, I got in a really bad accident in Mexico and I was in surgery for a long time and I remember from that day, still in the hospital room, I had influential people in my life, very influential people, tell me consistently, there's a reason you're still here. There's a reason God didn't take you home. You have a purpose here. And that was just a common theme that I kept hearing. And I'm, even when I tell the story of what happened in the accident, people still tell me that, that there's a reason that you're still here and there's a reason you don't have any deficits from it. And from that moment, I wanted to find out what that purpose was. When I was about 11, I was asked to go on my first medical mission trips with my mom and we went to Dominican Republic. We get to go into the community and set up a clinic and we get patients from all around the community that come in and we get to evaluate them and treat their medical conditions. I got to see these kids just light up when we gave them vitamins or a dum-dum sucker, something that we take so for granted and as, a, as an 11 year old, just seeing them walk away barefooted walking through the rocks just vitamins in hand, happy as can be, seeing the joy on their face and getting to be a part of that and knowing that I got to make a difference in their life just because I had a conversation with them and was able to hear them out and hear what hurt. I knew from that moment that on these trips, even if I'm not the one leading the trip, I have influence in the lives of the patients, the lives of the families, and the lives of the other people on the team. When I was applying for nursing school, I had taken all of my prereqs, I was ready to go. I've always known I wanted to be a nurse since I was a little girl. I was ready for it and I applied and I got denied, which was a setback for me. But I was like, okay, I'm going to try again. Applied again, I got denied again. And then I just kept going and I got denied three times until I finally was like, I'm going to walk into the dean's office. So I walked into the dean's office and I explained what was happening, explained I've always wanted to be a nurse and that no matter what, I'm going to keep trying to be a nurse because I knew that the Lord had placed that on my heart and that that's who I was supposed to be. What I hadn't seen before was that the reason I got denied three times was so that I could have the opportunity to meet Jeff, who's now my husband and we're happily married. But at times that I was looking just at the one thing that was happening, that I got denied and I got denied and I got denied. The Lord was looking at the bigger picture and He had control of my life and He kept that passion burning in my heart. I could feel in my bones that this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you are gonna have influence. This is what I've created you to do. You have the knowledge and the skill to do it. Just keep going, don't stop because there's so much ahead of you. There's so much still to come, but you have to press on. Before I go into every shift, I pray that the Lord will use me to impact his people, to impact the kids and the patients and the families. And I get to be the hands and feet of Jesus and I get to be a vessel of hope for them and just empower them in who they are because they still have so much of their life to live. And I get to just tell them that God didn't cause this pain and this sickness and the hurt, but that he's gonna use it if we let him. And I get to be there for the parents when their child is sick and it's scary and they don't know what's happening. 
at the same time with my coworkers, I get to show them the positivity that comes from Christ when we're seeing sick babies and sick kids coming in and teach them about the hope and why it doesn't affect me as much as I, it does and be able to come to work every day with a smile on my face, even if we had a patient die the day before. I get to tell them about Jesus and why I have that hope and where it comes from. In Matthew, it says to bring out the salt flavors of the world. And when I hear that, I think about all the countries we visited and how each one has different food and different spices. But in the same way, they have their own culture and their people do things the way that they do them. We get the opportunity to empower them in that and to encourage them in their uniqueness because God created them that way. And we get to have that impact on them in a time where they're coming to us asking what this disease is or what this rash is on their leg and we get to help them with that but we also get that platform to be able to tell them about Jesus. So we get the opportunity to be a salt in that way and at the hospital I get to be light where there's almost no hope sometimes and bring light to the darkness and just be an influence for hope and the hope that comes from Jesus and from a healing God.